uh, everyone. Uh, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. Uh, as, as Vlad mentioned, we're really excited uh, to careers uh, with Jordan Humphreys. Uh, so can you give us a little bit of an update of what you've been the last time we've talked, we've spoken with you? Well, before we get into that, I want to ask you guys, you've been doing the show for a while. I think this is my third time on the uh, on the podcast. Have you ever had a three-time returning guest? Am I the first? I believe so. I believe so. <laughs> Look, Mom, I've made it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, coming in and what's changed since last, um, you know, a little uh, side note, personal note, as you can see in my background, I don't know how well it's showing up, but the Hat Life editions, there's a couple behind me. You can see Preston Hadley's Envision, Josh's mm -hmm. Tracer Route, um, my PLC Academy. And then I've got uh, one of my followers sent me a Milwaukee hat. And then flying diamond controls as well. Uh, so I've got those. I got to get them in a better place. Um, and then obviously I'm wearing the uh, CSNW from Jonathan Artiega up in the Pacific Northwest. So the hat life is going strong. And uh, when will I get a Solus PLC hat? <laughs> that is putting us on the spot. We are. Yeah. Definitely working on the merch, same as Manufacturing Hub. I think it's in the, not necessarily the first items that we have on our lists, but it is definitely something that we need to uh, get a grasp on, I will say it that way. Excellent. I Well, you know, I can't give you too much of a hard time because my hat is in redesign right now. So it is uh, currently being done and I'll get a run and get some out to you guys as well. Sweet. Jordan, maybe uh, before even we get into kind of the discussion topics that I brought up, could you give us a reintroduction? What do you do? What is it that, uh, you know, you work in and kind of maybe a brief how you got into manufacturing automation in general? Yeah, so I did a, a few different things right out of high school. Didn't want to go to college, wanted to get into workforce. Uh, if I was going to go to college, I don't even know what I was going to study. So I did a, a lot of different service jobs. Uh, I was in the automotive industry, uh, healthcare. And then in 2015, I was looking for a change of pace. Um, and my mom had a friend that was leading a recruiting team um, for a, um, a big name box uh, national company. And she wanted to uh, tell me a little bit about the world of recruiting. So I joined in uh, as a sourcer. Uh, basically the people that were helping out the recruiters. Um, so that was 2015. And one of my first orders, we did um, engineering and life sciences. My first one was for a PLC engineer. And I remember at that time being a sorcerer, I sat down and my recruiter says, okay, we need a PLC engineer. And I go, okay, what's a PLC? <laughs> you know? So that was funny. My first job you know, was for a PLC and, and now we've kind of come full circle. But uh, 2015 started in recruiting, did some healthcare, did some life sciences, uh, but in 2018 started back up in controls and automation in that niche specifically uh, across the U.S. And then in 2019, late in November, uh, I started up JMH Talent. And basically that just continued that over, wanted to uh, do my own thing, um, you know, kind of 
didn't really like the way things were done and, and bigger stores, smaller boutique firms. I kind of wanted to do my, uh, be my own boss, so to speak. And so I learned that industry. And like I said, November 19 came out with my own company. And um, again, across the U.S., all we do is controls and automation. Um, anything in that technology stack. So all the way down from, you know, technicians, controls, automation technicians, uh, panel builders, CAD specialists, um, up to the controls and automation engineers. Uh, we can get into MES developers, SCADA engineers, SCADA developers, sales. Um, and now, you know, more since right before the pandemic and after into some o uh, OT roles. So that's the, uh, the world that I live in across the U.S. and those kind of uh, roles. Keep into that niche and keep learning about this industry, trying to sharpen my knife every day and, and become all that more effective in this industry. And let me ask you a, a follow-up question. So I would assume, you know, pre-pandemic, I think that the market was fairly good, right? And so un up until, I would say, spring of 2020, I think we've seen really good jobs in automation in general. So I would assume it was somewhat smooth sailing. Uh, but once the pandemic hit, I think we saw somewhat of a, I guess, probably a blimp, right, in the system where there's there was a lot of uncertainty and uh, everyone was trying to. Okay, I think I got you now. Sorry, it went out for a second. You were talking about the market when I got in in 2018 and after 2020. That's right. So just to uh, just to continue on that same train of thought, I, uh, I guess I've seen quite a few roles pre-pandemic and I think the market was quite good. And once the pandemic hit, which was around spring to maybe summer 2020, there was kind of a slowdown, right? There was a bit of uncertainty, especially at the beginning. I think we've seen a couple of layoffs. I don't know if it was specifically in manufacturing, but it certainly slowed down at least a little bit. But since the pandemic has to some degree subsided, I think we're seeing a massive return of the workforce, at least in automation, right? I think we've seen... Uh, layoffs maybe in more traditional industries and we'll probably talk about that a bit later in the conversation but what are you seeing since the uh, quote-unquote I want to say end of the pandemic uh, how is the landscape changing are there any major differences or key takeaways that you're seeing right now yeah excellent question um, you know I got back into this in 2018 I you know I dipped my toes into it a little bit in 2015 but didn't really know what industrial automation was when I got back in in 2018, um, I was just, you know, what, what is the landscape? And 2018, you know, the demand was high. Supply for talent was low. Good time to get in as a recruiter. There's, there's plenty of people that need help hiring. Um, 2019, it grew even more. Uh, rolling into the pandemic, you, you're exactly right. There was probably, I had a really good first quarter I had a really good Christmas and first quarter of 2020 and then March hit uh, the pandemic. And for about five months, I really didn't do anything. Uh, I wasn't really receiving any calls. I mean, I, you know, we'd have conversations with people, but nobody was just, and uncertainty was the best, best thing you could have said. It's uncertain. What are we going to do? Um, but it really only took about five months and then it started getting back up again. Um, I saw the people that were doing kind of remote workforces and already been doing it. They were, um, and, and it could be specific to your industry. Uh, Food and Bev was doing great during the pandemic and they only had a small giddy up or a hiccup. Um, 
but so depending on the industry, you know, you were affected maybe a little bit different in the pandemic. But the pandemic was important because of the, here comes the buzzwords, industry 4.0 and digital transformation. Digital transformation really came to the forefront. Where's our workers? What can we do? They're not here. Can they work from home? Can they connect into our network? Is it secure? What can we do? Oh, we can do these things. How can we expand and make this better? So we really started to, to go through that birth uh, of the remote worker and digital transformation. Um, you know, you can use the buzzword digital transformation, but really all it meant as far as technical is there's more automation work to go around. More people are hearing the buzzword of automation, taking it serious because of the pandemic. So that really started to go up. Um, so coming out of the pandemic again, you know, 2020 towards the middle and end, it was slowly starting to ramp up. And then in 2021, it, it was, I remember, you know, January, it was, it was just on fire. Um, and it really hasn't stopped even to today. Um, even going into 2022 is a little bit hotter than 2021. And it's pretty amazing to me because I mean, it, it's, it's been on fire ever since I got in in 18 and it only continues to go up. Um, and if I may ask what uh, maybe like, Jordan, I think we lost your sound. It looks like your mic is uh, not coming in clearly, if you can hear me. But uh, while you think of your can next you thought, you know, we can hear you. We can All hear right, you. All right, where did I leave uh, we, off? Well, I was going to ask you, you know, maybe some, um, I want to know if you're seeing a difference in the type of skill sets that uh, automation, I guess, facilities or systems integrators are looking for you know, from before the pandemic and what you're seeing now? Is it still the traditional maybe PLC and HMI developers? Are you seeing more people with uh, needing the skill set of maybe SCADA, maybe networks? I really like the fact that you've mentioned that, you know, Industry 4.0, digital transformation also impacts the way we do work. It's not necessarily just the plant floor technology, but it's also how do we access that uh, specific stack so that we can work better. Uh, so maybe the question is also, are you seeing more networking skills uh, being required? Are you seeing more SCADA, MES? Uh, what are the differences or maybe some takeaways that you're seeing today? Uh, and again, good question, Vlad. I would say most of it is still traditional skills, just in higher demand. Um, so for instance, pre-pandemic, let's say 30% of manufacturing companies were doing something on an automation level. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we still didn't have enough supply and talent to fill that 30%. So now after we've, we've gone through the digital transformation, the pandemic, let's just say, and I'm making numbers up, 50 to 60% of manufacturers are going, oh, what's our automation and what are we doing? So now we're, we're having more of that same work needing to be done. And we still have uh, a low side on the, on the talent side. We don't have enough. So traditional skills are still in play, PLCs, HMIs, coding, um, you know, if you can do from scratch is great. Um, if you're gonna be in production support, you know, mods and edits, mostly in Alan Bradley, uh, Siemens. I have seen some of the smaller ones getting more market share. Um, uh, uh, Beckoff is one that I've heard a lot recently. Uh, Groove, Epic, Rio, I think, 
uh, is one of them. PLC Next from Phoenix Contact. Uh, I've seen some more of these uh, coming up than just your traditional Alan Bradley and then uh, the rest of Siemens. So I've seen a little bit more of that come into play. But again, those are all still off the original IEC languages, you know, ladder logic, function blocks, uh, charts, uh, uh, structured text. It's just getting used to the platform, right? Um, Let me ask you a question on that, actually. And, yeah. you know, this is not like pandemic related, but are you seeing employers being more willing to take someone with a, I want to say different PLC experience or even like any platform, right? Like I'm, I'm using PLCs as an example because that's what uh, you've just mentioned. But are you seeing them being more willing to train someone on a different platform with that, let's say, IEC uh, 631 experience uh, versus, you know, pre-pandemic? Not as much as I'd like to see. Okay. And that's just what I tell these people. I say, you know, if you're looking for somebody and you give me, you know, 10, five to 10 things that you absolutely need, if I find that person, I'm going to give it to you. I want you to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. But I also have to counsel you what this market looks like for talent. What you want, everybody else wants. And what you want and somebody else has, they want to keep it. So, Again, I'll go out there and try to find your perfect match, but more than likely, I'm going to come back to you and say, hey, you wanted five things checked. I've got two to three things here, which is a lot better than zero. Right. Okay. You know, you want somebody with Alan Bradley, uh, RS Logics, 500, 5,000, whatever, safety PLCs, but they only have Siemens experience. Oh, well, we don't do Siemens. You know, we, we, we need somebody that can go from scratch and Alan Bradley. And it's like, I, I get you. Okay because they're probably not going to step in from day one. They've got a learning curve. But depending on who you hire, and a lot of people, if they're open-minded, it's just a different platform. Give me a week. Give me a month. Give me a project, and I'm good to go. But hiring managers, they just they don't necessarily want to hear that. They want what they want and go with it. So I'm continually counseling them to say, hey, because I've got clients that have had openings for controls engineers for up to over a year. In one case, up to two, almost two years now. Mm. You want that opening for a year to two years. What's going to happen in that time? You're going to stress out your other resources to pick up the slack. Um, you're going to spend money on adverts, on LinkedIn, Indeed, whatever. You're going to have a waste of time because those aren't effective. Uh, how much money is it costing you to have that role unfilled? Everybody knows how much it costs to, to hire a recruiter, but they don't know how much money it's costing them to not have that job filled. Um, and in the case of, you know, some of these guys that have it over a year and one in you know, two years, I talk to them and I say, hey, look, I know my fee is, is not cheap, okay? but it's a lot cheaper than having it unfilled for almost two years and all the stress, the headaches, the, the, the dollar account that you can't amount for, right? The stress, the headaches. And then there's the dollar amount you can count for. I've had to send these resources here and that's an extra two, $300 every week. Um, and after the project adds up, maybe it's 5,000 that you could have saved by having somebody else. Um, so yeah, you know, I want to see more of that. You know, don't be afraid um, because we need, and, and that's what I tell anybody, end users, system integrators, if you're hiring and automation and controls, uh, invest in your people. Invest in your people, find out what makes them tick and get them to stay. That's, no, absolutely. That's, I 
Jordan, I, I really wish that somebody presented the same speech to my previous employers, but that's a, that's a whole separate conversation. I really like where, you know, this discussion is going. I'd really like to uncover more details about the current landscape of the workforce. We do have an interesting question from one of the LinkedIn viewers, Lori Grafman. So she's asking, do you think the greater availability of matching grant money for implementing Industry 4.0 technology since the pandemic has also accelerated the need for talent? Are you seeing, you know, systems integrators that have received some of these grants come to you for uh, trying to recruit these individuals in, uh, in automation? I have not yet. And I, that's a very good question because I've, I know there's got to be money coming in private or public through, um, uh, through Congress. Um, I guess I don't want to say propping us up, but now they're getting into it right mm -hmm. after the pandemic, you know, the, the, the report came out, the automation industry is going to grow double by the end of 2023. I forget what the numbers are now, but everybody's kind of on that bandwagon and throwing money there. Um, the grants will be interesting to see where they come from, how they're stipulated, how we can use them. Um, but the biggest thing is if, if you're giving automation companies money, do they know how to best use that money to attract the best talent? Mm -hmm. Because if they don't have the, if they don't have the knowledge, but they've got money, there's a good chance they're going to waste it or misuse it. Um, I would hope not. I would certainly hope not, but uh, it's definitely, as you said, it's, We'll see how it plays out for sure. But uh, Jordan, maybe going back to a, a previous point that I think we've made is the transition also from, you know, being at the plant level or being at the office versus starting to work remote. And I think like it introduces a certainly an interesting dynamic, right? Because I think to some extent, the same talent is being also picked into other fields, right? Like so software, maybe uh, electrical engineering and so on and so forth. So how are you seeing maybe the transition to this more remote working world in automation? Are you seeing, I, I would assume that there's a lot more demand for it, but also is there more travel expectations, less travel expectations? Like how are you seeing it play out from that perspective? Yeah, that's probably the best question you could ask right now as far as the, the talent landscape and what's going on. Uh, again, going back to the pandemic, digital transformation, we're starting to work remotely. Oh, we can do these tasks remotely. We can be secure. All right, what does this look like now? Now, the automation companies, whether you're an end user or a system integrator, the managers are like, oh, I don't like remote. People are kind of, you know, I can't see them. I can't micromanage um, some, not all. And on the other side, you had the automation engineer who said, finally, you realized I can do this remote. Here's what I can and should be able to do. And then the management's like, ooh, nah, we can't, we can't do that. So now it's heavily, heavily a candidate's market right now in automation and controls. Um, so they have brought it up. They're the ones pushing this. Hey, what's, what's the remote option? You know, if I'm recruiting somebody, uh, a big pain is I want more work-life balance. I don't want to be on the road as much. I can do this job from home. Why won't they let me? Um, so they're the candidates are really pushing this, okay? Uh, the automation side and management side has been slow to adopt, some better than others. Um, and then, you know, again, to get almost granular, it, it's a case-by-case -case basis. What's your company? What industry are you in that 
it, you know, necessitates how much you can be remote. There are some things where you have to be on site. You just have to, right? That's the nature right, of the Absolutely. And, and if I may add, you know, if I may jump in into that comment, I think the automation industry is where we make the almost the connection between the electrical or the, the software world and the hardware, right? Like there's a lot of mechanical components and we have a safety panel coming up this month just to maybe tease out that specific conversation. But there's a lot of safety implications in automation and not necessarily always just for the personnel, but also for machinery, right? So it's very, uh, I don't want to say easy to make a mistake where something costs a lot of money, but it is definitely a possibility. So I could see why um, managers are reluctant, you know, to completely open up the floodgates before all the, I want to say the precautions or the right measures are in place. So I think we're probably trending in that direction, but it's definitely, or at least in my experience, not something that I've seen every employer implement perfectly so that they can allow everyone to work remotely. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really interesting. Like I said, I, I think we're fighting a battle between, you know, trying to get these engineers into automation versus other fields. And of course, it's tempting to kind of go the like remote working route. So I, I, I think that's kind of a, a given, right? Like we're fighting against that. Uh... Yeah, great point. Because like you said, remote's not the only thing that came became popular in automation and controls. It was an all phases of jobs. If you could work remote, let me work remote. And that's a good thing. You know, if we want to keep our automation and controls engineers in this industry, we've got to know how much can be done remote and allow them or else they, you know, it's like, you know what? Because there's a lot of people out there, work-life balance. That's their number one, not money, not career progression. It's, I want to do what I want to do on my, based off of my personality. And I'm going to go and do this. So you've, you've got to take that into account. Um, you know, you might go up, well, well, if you go into, you know, software development or something outside, but it's remote, you're going to take a pay cut. You know, you're going to have to do this, do that. And it's, you know, hey, you're not listening to me. I, I want a work-life home balance. And so they go and get it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a, it's a really good point. Jordan, we have a good question that I think like segues us into another conversation topic that we've discussed off stream yesterday. So Hugo is asking, what is your opinion in companies contracting freelancers slash independent contractors on a project basis? And so maybe let me add on to that question. But what are you seeing in terms of, you know, what are you seeing in terms of permanent positions right? So employment-based opportunities versus contract work. And I think then we can also like break that down a little bit. Like, is this the right moment to kind of jump in as a contractor, maybe have one of those lifestyles where you complete a project, you take some time off and look for your next project, or even, you know, build or start your own quote unquote systems integration company. What are your thoughts around that? Perfect time to uh, branch out and do what you want with this career, right? So automation is in a kind of a, it's newly born. It's in the wild west. We've got a lot of money floating out, a lot of attention right now uh, and not, not enough talent. So the people out there that can do these things, they can right now for the foreseeable future, they can dictate what they want to do in this industry. They can dictate how they want to work. 
they can work off based off their personalities. So if you want a permanent job working nine to five, Monday through Friday, three weeks of vacation, the normal, right? Go, go for it. You can certainly get that. Uh, if your personality is, you know what, I'd like to work three or four months out of the year and then take the rest of the time off. I've made enough money from that three to four months and I don't have a high, you know, lifestyle. You can certainly do that. Um, and, and, you know, I would definitely encourage people if they feel like they've got the entrepreneur bug, want to go out on their own, try their own company. Now is the time An automation. Mm -hmm. Now is the time. Uh, it's a challenge. It's hard. Everybody's always told you that opening up your own business, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It is so worth it. If, if you have what it takes, not everybody is suited to own a business, but go and find out, find out if you're, if you're suited to own a business or not. And even if you're not, you're going to learn some valuable uh, uh, lessons that will make you a better employee down the road. And is um, that the Jordan, I guess, just to quickly follow up on that, is that the kind of conversations you would also have with, uh, you know, potential candidates or anyone who reaches out from like an automation standpoint to maybe, you know, like uncover what their profile is best suited for and kind of maybe put them on that track and also maybe potentially link them with customers who do have projects in mind or are looking for contract-based employees? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can, or I'd say I've kind of lost. What was the main question again? Say it again, Vlad. Well, the question is, you know, if someone's looking for such opportunities, would you be right, the person right. to also have that conversation with or maybe figure out the details of that arrangement or even look for contracts through you? Yeah, I remember what I was going to say now. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if it's the first time we're talking or we've known each other for a little bit and we talk, the first thing I want to do, and I'll use you, Vlad, you know, if you called me up and said, hey, my, I'm working at a uh, corporate, you know, as a controls engineer and I just this isn't working out for me. You know, the first thing I'm going to do is not, okay, where's my open roles here? This would be a good fit. This would be a good fit. No. What I want to do is say, Vlad, what do you want to do? What's your, what do you want to do with your career? What technologies do you like working on? Where do you want your career growth? You know, really get into what Vlad wants because we have so many options right now. And if you tell me what you really want, I can point you in a direction that's going to be able to do that for you to take that option and see if that's right for you. Well, let me uh, maybe give a hypothetical scenario, Jordan, as a, sure. as an answer to that question, right? So again, I'm working at a plant in a, in a large corporate company. We're not going to toss in any names, but let's say I've got experience installing PLCs, HMIs. I've programmed things from scratch. I've never really been given an opportunity to dive into maybe like SCADA MES type of work, but that's really what I'm looking to do. Perhaps even I've done, you know, the inductive automation university. So I have my credential, but I've not necessarily, again, I probably went to my boss or my colleagues and haven't been given a project to uh, maybe compete or play at that level yet. What would you give me as advice from there? Yeah. Uh, so again, you know, we've, as we've talked about, this is the candidate market and automation. Um, so whatever's out there and you want to get into and get experienced, do it. There will be an opportunity. Um, and so I always tell people, go to your job first. You already know them. You have a relationship. You know your managers. You know the work process. Um, if you're a PLC and HMI guy and you want some SCADA, right, 
you go to your boss and you say, hey, uh, Bob over there, who's the skater, skater manager, um, I've seen what he does. It's really interesting. I'd like to jump on a project and start learning from him. Now, if you're a smart manager, you're going to say yes, because not only does that help keep them, all right, you're giving them an opportunity to grow and learn a different skill set. And once they do learn that, now you've got somebody with more weapons and, and now they're happy and they're staying there. So now you've got a resource you've invested in and you both can make good off of that. If your manager, you know, you go up and say, hey, I want to become SCADA. I want to further myself, get in some different projects. And they're like, well, we really need you, you know, on the commissioning team or we need you on the, the, the building panels team. You know, that's a red flag because you have options. There are plenty of people out there looking for skill sets and the good ones are looking for engineers who have open minds and are never done learning. Those are the managers you wanna want to work for. Those are the good managers, right? How can I make you a sharper tool? You're great with PLCs and HMIs. Have you ever thought about SCADA, data collection, networking, any of these things? Oh yeah, but I just haven't had the time and okay, well, let's get you on those projects. Great. That's a great manager. But if you ever get feedback from manager, like, ah, we're, we don't really want to do that. Um, you got to watch out for that. Don't allow yourself to get pigeonholed, especially right now. There's too many options out there. So the next thing I will say is if you go to your boss, you go to your place and they're not uh, keen on giving you more opportunities to learn, then it's time to look outside whether that's changing your job. Now that's the hard part, right? Going, I'm gonna change a job and you go to a SCADA company and say, I wanna be your SCADA engineer. Okay, well, it looks like you've been in automation, you've done PLCs and HMIs, but you've done, you haven't done anything in SCADA. They're not gonna hire you just because you wanna work in SCADA, right? You have no skills. So that's the hard part, that's the conundrum. Where do I get the experience so that a SCADA company will hire me? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of, again, we're in the wild west, we're being born, we haven't really, we haven't really fleshed out these opportunities of training. We've been so occupied with this is on fire, go put it out, that's on fire, we need somebody here. So that hasn't really been done yet. Um, and that's something that we need to focus on uh, in this field is employees, uh, growing them, getting them into different technologies, testing them out, seeing what they want really getting in depth with them. What do you want out of your career? How can we help you? Um, so again, you know, if, if you want to be a skater guy and all you have is PLC and HMIs, your boss isn't going to allow you to get that. Your company doesn't do that. Now it's time for you to network with people that do that. And if, you know, whatever you can, ask them questions. If they'll let you in on a project, look at some notes, documentation, Whatever it is, work for free, nights, weekends, you've got to do it because the opportunity will be there. Once you get those skills and get hired, you're, you, I'm not going to say you're made in the shade, uh, but it's, it's definitely a much brighter career outlook for you. I couldn't agree more with you, Jordan. Really appreciate that thought. Dave, it looks like you are... You are appearing very well. I wanted you to maybe jump in the conversation, give us your thoughts, uh, maybe throw a question at Jordan as well. Absolutely. So uh, first, I, I forget 
how much you and Jordan love to talk to each other, Vlad. Uh, I think this might be a record for the longest it's taken me into a conversation uh, in, in order to get a question edgewise. So I, I'd like to, to thank everyone uh, for that. I'd like to thank our, our listeners for throwing in some questions. I think they were all very good questions. Uh, yeah, I think they were all very good questions. And, and I think the first half an hour of this has been exceptionally positive, right? Jordan has painted a really good picture that there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of upskilling opportunities. Uh, I guess there, there are a couple of questions, but, but the first question is, Jordan, you know, with inflation being what it is, with the potential recession in the economy, are you seeing pushback or slowdown of people looking to hire uh, skilled automations engineers? No. Is that clear enough for you? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Um, and that's kind of been the amazing thing to watch as soon as this year started. Um, you know, the, the economic indicators were there that it's not going as well. Um, we may be going into a recession and I know Wikipedia will, <laughs> will tell me different <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, you had that coming in and, and now companies started getting concerned and especially in tech when they made a bunch of hires and they overhired. Um, and we've seen it cyclical. It happens uh, once you overhire and that demand's gone. Now you got to let go of your staff. Um, that is not happening in automation. I have personally not seen it. Um, maybe, you know, some of the controls techs, techs of what they call them, like uh, working for warehouse, big logistics centers, um, maybe some of that. I've seen some at Tesla. Um, but other than that, no, no, it hasn't stopped um, and is only going more into it. Uh, and to the question earlier, I think from Lori about grants, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. I've seen the CHIPS Act, uh, uh, I think it was CHIPS in Congress that is giving money for us here in the U.S. to do more chip manufacturing. What will, what will we do in the future, near future, uh, for, for manufacturing, if we're going to be reshoring um, and automation, will, will they get involved in that? Will they be handing out grants in that capacity, um, you know, for manufacturers to, to update and to automate? Uh, that will be very interesting. But as of right now, I, I don't know if, if automation is recession-proof or if we're just a couple years behind we're in a bit of a lag. It's going to take a couple of years to get up to us. Uh, I'm currently trying to figure that out. I probably won't, <laughs> but um, but we'll we'll see. That'll be interesting coming in the next couple of years, because like I'm telling you guys, I mean, automation is on an upward trend. Okay, it's going to. Now, will we have a a stop where it keeps going up and then it kind of teeters out a little bit and then goes back up? I don't know. Um, but that's what I think we'll be, we'll, we'll see in the next couple of years. Will we kind of stall a little bit and then regain, or will it just be straight to the moon? And, you know, government intervention will have a big thing to do with that. If government gets involved, starts printing money and giving it to manufacturers, then yeah, it's, it's just not going to slow down. No, absolutely. I think that that's interesting. So, so you were talking about some skills. Um, I, I'd like to dig a little bit more into that, Jordan. Is there a list of top five, top 10 most in-demand skills uh, that, that you hear from employers and potential employers? Yeah, I mean, again, excuse me. Again, you know, standard automation, uh, traditional automation, that's always there. Um, Alan Bradley, again, is probably 
80 to 90% of, of work orders. You know, I need an Allen Bradley guy. Um, Siemens is next. And then after that, you know, some of the uh, Asian ones we'll, we'll see um, some in automotive. I've seen some in um, warehousing a little bit with Omron, uh, Mitsu, those kinds. But again, not, not much has changed there. Uh, it's still Allen Bradley. Um, and HMIs, can you build an HMI integrating through um, uh, factory talk, either site edition or machine edition, that's become a little bit more popular factory talk um, and getting that to talk to these programs to talk to each other. Uh, the safety PLCs are always, you know, important. Um, the, and, and the biggest thing since I got into 2018 is I need an Allen Bradley guy or a Siemens guy and I need them to program from scratch. So again, that word comes in, what does that actually mean? It just means a guy that's competent, right? I'm gonna give you the, the design, what the customer wants, here's the equipment, here's what we want it to do. Can you write it from scratch, right? Put all your sensors in there, get them into the code and have a working program at the end of the day. Um, the next set, which I usually see in production support end users is mods and edits, right? Something goes down, can you, can you uh, troubleshoot down to the card level? what's going on. The troubleshoot's the biggest thing, right? I see um, is somebody that is, has a curious mind for problems and wants to troubleshoot. That's a big thing that I see a lot. And that's kind of hard to define sometimes, right? You have to kind of get into some soft skills and, and the personality, you know, do you really like to find out a problem um, and kind of fix that? So troubleshooting is a big one programming from scratch. So again, out there, if you guys are two to three years, five years, just got in and you don't know how to program from scratch, get to that as fast as you can, whether that is, you know, through Solus PLC, online learning classes, um, wherever you got to get it. And again, going, um, getting project experience, right? Working overtime, um, or not necessarily overtime, but working a night with the guy that's, that's, that knows from scratch. Right. Get out there and learn that. That's your biggest vault for career progression. If you're in PLCs and HMIs, learn to program from scratch. Know how to troubleshoot. <clears throat> um, and, you know, traditional skills, again, uh, are staying. I, I haven't seen too much. Um, but again, getting into networking, um, data collection, how things work, um, that those are big. You know, if you get into getting machines to talk to each other, um, how does the network uh, work, keeping it secure? Um, you know, we're starting to get into a different technical skill set of OT. Um, so, you know, if you're a controls and automation guy, I, you know, I wouldn't, I would, it's nice to know those things, but you're, you know, you're almost in two different skill sets. Um, so, you know, and there's other technologies, AI, ML, that, that keep getting thrown around. I haven't seen them really, you know, for, for the every man uh, yet to, for, for some of those that are still being, you know, concepts that are still being worked on. Digital twins, again, is a, is a, is a buzzword. It's a real cool technology, I hope to see, uh, but not practical use yet. So, again, Dave, you know, your traditional skill sets, just more in demand. Um, and again, you know, be curious. You know, if you know Alan Bradley, go see Siemens, go try Omron, right? More of this stuff, uh, the more hats you can wear and the more dangerous you'll be, which is more valuable you'll be. Let me ask you maybe a follow-up on, uh, on Dave's question, Jordan, and maybe throw in a few more platforms into that metaphorical hat. 
are you seeing more demand for robotics, right? Because I, th I think we've had conversations even earlier this year with Dave around the traditional robots, so more on the FANUC, PUKA side, and some cobots. So it's like, are you seeing more demand for those? Are you seeing more demand for AGVs, so automated guided vehicles? Uh, same side, you know, on the SCADA, I think we've mentioned Ignition already. Are you seeing Tatsoft? Um, and maybe like higher up in the stack, are you seeing more demand for MES engineers? And, you know, maybe on that same perspective, are you seeing like automation engineers being hired for MES implementations? Or are you seeing, you know, traditional software engineers be more uh, suitable for that level? But I, I guess like that last part is kind of like a side question. But the main question is, you know, the requirements for these new platforms, are you seeing more demand or similar to pre-pandemic? Similar to pre-pandemic, um, sure. but those newer technologies like Tatsoft and stuff, they're they're becoming they're they're growing. Okay, um, maybe not like Ignition has, you know, and and Ignition put their work in right 2010, 2012, and that kind of stuff. And then they, you know, when I got in in 18, they were blowing up. Um, so these companies keep going. They they've got some good things. Um, that they're they're working on so some newer platforms newer technologies are being tried um we'll see right but but as we talked about even with new platforms um you get used to a new platform but the languages are still going to stay the same you're still going to be uh programming in structured text ladder logic function charts function blocks i mean there's right? no red also we'll throw that in the hat as well right like a Maybe there is. A I'm glad you said that because I did forget about that. Node Red has gotten a lot. Um, and and correct me if I'm wrong. That's one of the no code, low code platforms. Is that right? That's the intent. Uh, to be quite honest with you, it can be used in a fairly versatile way. Again, it, it it certainly depends on what you're looking to implement as far as a project goes. The idea is that yes, you can drag out blocks and then you know kind of connect the dots between them and. You don't necessarily need full programming skills, but if you desire to do so, you can also like peek under the hood, so to speak, and be able to change the code as uh, as much as you would like. And there, there's quite a few libraries, you know, there's debates going on in the community, I would say, whether or not it's suitable for like a full plant implementation or it's good for, you know, like a small skid or maybe it's good for like a prototype only and then it can be used to pass data. And I think there's some interesting companies working on Kind of changing that there is some like enterprise versions being developed um i i've personally you know i don't have enough experience to have an opinion on them myself but i know some i i want to say like fairly respected individuals who have used them in, in in larger projects and kind of say nothing but positive things about no yeah Red. so take, oh. take that for for what you want right well so me as being a recruiter and not an engineer um I've heard the low code, no code. Uh, I even had a conversation with Dave, I don't know, over a year ago with somebody else about this. And, you know, as a recruiter, I'm not as, I don't program, I don't code. Uh, but it was interesting to hear the conversation about no code, low code. And I've, I've heard on opposite sides, some people are like, well, this is great. And then others are like, it's good for some situations, but like you were saying, full plant implementations and this, um, I still think we're, we're trying to figure out where that will best play. Mm -hmm. um, I think your traditional PLCs and HMIs are going to stay around for a little bit, but there are some different stuff coming out that we're playing with. I think even Git-based 
um, you know, different ways that we can do it that will be flushed out in the, in the next five to seven years. That will be interesting to see, you know, how those things come to fruition. And if we change over um, and, you know, the, the days of old uh, PLCs and, and coding and ladder logic will be gone. But again, that, that would be a good, uh, a good idea for you guys to, to, to take over the, the community and the no code, low code. Uh, implementation. Uh, I would definitely be in tune for that. <laughs> no, absolutely. Dave, maybe uh, you can jump in on this conversation as well, because I know we've discussed that pretty uh, extensively in, in a conversation as well. We have discussed low code and no code in, in lots of conversations. I have never seen someone actually low or no code a solution to the level that most people would like as an enterprise. And I have found very few people who are not programmers or engineers have extra time in their day because none of us have extra time in our day to go devote 20 or 30 or 40 hours to building a lower no code solution. I'm not saying that they don't work, that you, I have never seen a group of people take it and run with it as much as conceptually it, it should be. But I would love, and we would love to hear more about low and no code um, in the comments. So please go uh, go blast us all in the comments, especially the people that love low and no code solutions. Before we get too much far in, Jordan brought up a comment about upscaling. And so this is a good opportunity to thank our sponsors, which Vlad didn't thank in the beginning. So uh, we wanna thank uh, Phoenix Contact uh, for sponsoring this this month, this month of, of a potpourri of themes as, as Zach has, uh, has called it that we want to talk about something that well I, I guess we want to do two things one we want to embarrass Vlad because he didn't do it himself asking people to subscribe to Solus PLC in the beginning um, and two uh, we want to talk about a new course that Phoenix Contact and Solus PLC have put out to do with to deal with the PLC next right so Vlad hold up a PLC next I'm going to read a little bit about what the course is, and then you did it, so we're going to force you to talk about it, right? So this course covers this, the PLC next, how to get started with the platform, how to create program flows, how to implement ladder logic, structured text, and function block based on the IEC 61131 uh, standards, as well as external communications. So you'll learn to configure the hardware. You'll learn the PLC next engineer PLC programming with ladder, lock ladder logic structured text and function block. Uh, you'll learn the PLC Next Engineer OPC UA communications, the PLC Next Engineer Modbus implementations. And then Vlad, remind us, I know we've talked about it, does PLC Next have MQTT communication availability or is, is that coming? Where are we at? We are yes to that, but not in the course. So it does have MQTT communication. It will be covered in the course. It's currently in uh, in the process. So we, again, we've released, as you said, the course. We plan to add a few extra lectures. And okay. I do want to add that the idea with uh, this, so we had a smaller course on Solus PLC about PLC Next, and mm -hmm. it was just how to get started, how to download the software, you know, get on board with the platform. And this is an extension of that course. So it's a lot more in depth. So it talks about how to, configure different sensors, how to configure different IO cards, how to go into PLC Next Engineer, program the device in multiple languages. And the idea is that at the end of this course, there's going to be a certification as well. So we're still flushing out the exam, but it will be 
close to what you see with uh, the Ignition platform, right, where you have to submit answers to questions, which we've already written. And then you're going to have to program a uh, program that we're then going to test together with uh, Phoenix Contact. And you would receive an official certificate from both us and uh, Phoenix Contact. So that's still, you know, to TBD. It's going to be released fairly soon, but uh, that's the intent of the course. And the course is live, so you can definitely subscribe and check it out. I got to say Fantastic. And if people... I want oh, to hold on, hold on, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, go. We're, we're gonna make Vlad. We're, we're gonna make Vlad make the pitch, and then you can go ahead and ask more questions on that. So, yeah. Vlad, if people want to upskill what they're doing with PLC Next, where do they find this course, and how do they subscribe? Dolisplc.com under the course section, mm -hmm. you get a full description, full details, and you can subscribe right there. For all our podcast listeners, Vlad is blushing more than anyone has ever seen him blush uh, a day in his life. Jordan, questions? No, I was just going to hop onto that and say, um, again, all of my network, if you didn't hear that, solisplc.com, S-O-L-I-S.com. No, I missed the PLC. <laughs> you can rewind it. And oh, I say that okay. because that's what a lot of my network. That's one of the biggest questions. How do I get out there? How do I get training? How, you know, these new products, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I got to tell you, um, ever since connecting, I, I knew a little bit about Phoenix Contact when I got in in 18. Uh, but I, when I connected with Ira, so after the pandemic, um, he started, his content game has been great. Um, and I've, heard, I, I've seen Phoenix Contact all over all over my feet on LinkedIn with nothing but good things. Uh, I've connected with several other people there. Um, I know you've had him on a couple of people. There was another guy and I'm forgetting his name. Uh, he does really good content, but I've heard nothing but great things about Phoenix Contact. I've had great interactions with their people and I've heard great things about PLC Next. So uh, in, co in combination with PLC Next, Phoenix Contact and Solus PLC with this training, that's a home run. And I hope all of my network goes and checks that out. Appreciate that, Jordan. Thank you, Dave. To continue the conversation, I really, so I don't know if both of you are looking at the LinkedIn comments as they come in live. We have a pretty good list of different platforms, uh, you know, including PLCs, but also like SCADA systems, HMIs, uh, which is very interesting from Nestor Jose Aria Alvarado. Sorry again, if I mispronounced that name. But he mentions quite a few platforms, you know, and Jordan, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, what we've been discussing, right? So upskilling and maybe you gave us as an example, but if what if someone's looking to get into uh, networking, right? So I think that's a skill set that's only growing with uh, all the changes that are happening in the industry. But I think it's becoming more and more important for an automation engineer to understand well, I guess I want to say like not only understand the stack of how the data flows between different machines, but also be able to make those decisions, configure, you know, I've seen a lot of Stratix switches, but uh, Phoenix Contact has their switches, Siemens, I think there's every brand, Moxa, uh, we've had um, uh, Traceroute, right, like on one of the podcasts, and we had a long discussion about different hardware that's out there. So how do not necessarily engineers just get, but I, I want to say like also which skills should uh, automation engineers be focused on and how can they get 
uh, the skills required for automation? So if I understand your question correctly, you're, how do you upskill as an automation engineer? I think it's how do you upskill? Uh, and you know, there's, like I said, there's a few options available. Obviously, let's say Ignition is very, I want to say positioned for automation, but something like a CCNA, which I typically recommend for networking is not necessarily networking for the manufacturing sector. So if you're an engineer currently involved in you know, operations and you probably configure some stratic switches, maybe you're involved with sure. SCADA. What, um, I want to say like, how do you take the steps to learn skills outside of what you're currently doing, right? And I, I want to say that with a caveat, you maybe don't have that opportunity through like your current employer. Uh, so you're looking to expand and broaden your horizon so that ultimately I think you land maybe a different job, better job, a higher paying position. Like what are you seeing in yeah. the industry and what's in demand? I, I, again, I, I think I keep repeating that question, but uh is your time better spent learning more networking, more robotics, more SCADA, more MES, AI, yeah. machine learning? You know, there, there's well, a whole bunch of skills in that hat. Well, again, Vlad, I mean, it goes back to what do you want to do? Because there are options, right? And mm -hmm. and if you're just, you know, I'm going to ask you simply, what are you doing now that you don't, that you aren't getting to do, right? What do you want to get into? Oh, well, robotics, you know, I've always seen the teach point pendants and, you know, KUKA and, and that I've always, okay. Well, let's let's get you into that. If you're into AI, ML, digital twins, whatever technology, SCADA, right? We can we can do that. Um, it, it depends on where you want to take your career, right? Do you want to be an automation engineer who also knows networking? Um, and and sometimes, and again, you know, job descriptions and different plants. Sometimes you have to do the networking. You're going to be relied on to do that. Um, and in, and specifically networking credentials, because I know we've talked about credentials. I have seen the typical IT, uh, you know, the CCNA, um, what's the, uh, the A plus, um, your CISP, that's, that's a little high, you know, for, for an automation engineer, but uh, definitely the CCNA, um, that, that helps. Um, and I guess, you know, to answer that question, I would ask the automation engineer, you know, how curious are you? What do you, where do you want to go? What are some things that are that are involved in your job, but you don't necessarily do them, right? Uh, you don't mess with the networking, but think about the network, right? How do these machines talk to each other? How do we keep it secure? How do we make it better, cleaner, right? And then you start to become curious and you go over to Bill, who does the uh, networking, and you start asking these questions and you get a holistic view of what it is. And now you start to understand the whole process and you go, okay, how can I learn that skill? to help my job out. But as far as, you know, I'm an automation engineer, I've been working at a plant for five years, here's my resume, how do I, you know, how do I get the next job? Um, or how, what am I looking for to put on my resume? And, and again, that goes back to what do you want to do in your career? That's gonna help. Let me help give a me. hypothetical. Yeah. Sorry to to cut you off on that, on that thought, Jordan, but let me give you a hypothetical, right? So. I think, uh, and again, I'm talking for myself, right? So I'll take that for what it is, but I would like to take on more responsibility so that ultimately, you know, going from someone who commissions small systems at the plant level, I want to get a, I guess, more holistic view of the entire manufacturing automation stack so that I can become maybe, you know, like a senior engineer, then like an architect, maybe an automation manager, 
whatever you know like whatever that trajectory looks like at least you know from a technical standpoint but i would like to take on more responsibility than what i'm doing now i think like that's the the main intent and the idea is to figure out again what is kind of the the right platform to learn but also how to accomplish that without necessarily you know having to invest because ultimately as uh, as dave also pointed out i think time is limited so you want to not necessarily find a shortcut i think that's a a negative way to say that but there's a lot of different i want to say paths that you can invest in and some are going to be more fruitful or more beneficial towards that goal than others yeah so, you know, if you don't know, and again, you don't know SCADA and you want to know SCADA, what platform do I, do I learn, right? Hmm. Uh, there's certainly options out there. And then you go into how are they, how are they done, right? Uh, OOP languages, uh, do I need to learn those? Uh, Ignition, Java and Python, right? Very popular. I've got to learn those. If I don't, I've, I've talked to plenty of people, well, I don't know Java or Python. I was like, okay, well, do you want to get into SCADA? You don't have to know SCADA. You have to know that for 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 ignition, of course. Um, and ignition can do all kinds of cool things, not just in manufacturing. But what does it run off of? And what is it that I don't know? All right, C sharp. You know, what are one of those? Okay, I I need to learn that. So I'm going to go in and start learning that if I don't already. Um, and the, the networking, right? CCNA. I'm going to go through one of those classes. Get that. Um, start looking at switches, how they're routed. Um, and then now I can start building my resume, padding it to the automation engineer I want to be, right? So what I'm hearing from you, Vlad, is you want to take on a lot of different things. You want to have these different responsibilities. You want to wear a lot of hats. You know, if somebody has an issue, I go, oh, talk to Vlad. He knows this. Oh, I thought he was only, uh, no, no, no. He knows this as well. Okay, great. You want to be that guy. Um, not everybody necessarily wants to be that guy. They want to know their sub stack and keep into that. But other people such as yourself that want to, uh, you're showing the curious mind. That's, that's the biggest thing I would say. You know, you want more responsibility. You're showing the curious mind. You're asking the questions. And that leads you down the path of knowledge. And once you obsess and get that knowledge, you are starting to form yourself into more than just one thing that you can do. You're a Swiss army knife, so to speak. Um, so again, if you, if you want to know SCADA, um, is SCADA, what SCADA platform, right? You can go into Ignition. It's most popular. You know Java and Python. Um, what industries is it used in? Are those things that you want to do? Um, do you want to learn Ignition and then go through IA, inductive automation, get credentialed, get certified, do a project in Ignition, and then, okay, I'm going to go do WinCC. Or something, you know, something else, Tatsoft, uh, Factory Talk, whatever. If I'm looking at somebody and talking to them and they know Ignition only, okay, that's great. They've done some projects, great. I can put you in with an Ignition client. But if I'm talking to a guy that knows Ignition, WinCC, Factory Talk, Tatsoft, all these different ones, and has done projects in them all, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. You put him in front of anything, he's going to figure it out, right? That's Sounds like a full engineering team to me, but... <laughs> right, right. So it's kind of up to you. It, it's not an easy question to, to answer. It's kind of up to you, right? There's so many possibilities. I keep saying that right now. The, the, the world is yours. How much do you want to do? How little do you want to do, right? You can make whatever you want out of this uh, industry and this career right now. No, that's awesome. I think that's uh, that's a great response. Again, I don't have a scenario for you where 
I would like to go. I'm sure there's going to be potentially people reaching out to you, maybe with uh, follow-up questions to that discussion, because I think each uh, platform has its own, I want to say, like grasp on the market. And again, as you said, it's different industries, different markets, different uh, maybe. Yes. Here's one thing I'd like to, to tell you. Like, so from... So we talked about you, right? Wanting more hats, responsibilities. On the other side of that coin, you've got guys, and I've, I've placed them before. I, I had one guy that was in this in controls for like at least 15 years. He was in his late 50s, uh, hadn't done controls his whole life, but 15 to 20 years. And we're going to uh, a new control, controls engineer that is working for a large automotive manufacturer. They're doing some integration there. Um, and he was basically what they were looking for, right? Um, but he had been working in um, PLCs, some HMIs, a lot of vision, and um, uh, it's, it's leaving me what the other one was that goes usually with vision. But anyways, this is the skill set that he had done, and he'd mm -hmm. stayed it. Um, this new thing that I was recruiting him for was basically doing the same thing. It was just at a different uh, making a different product and he was interested in so they liked him they wanted an offer and when I asked him I said hey what are you looking for it was not the type of money that you would assume somebody at 15 to 20 years wanted right it was it was below six figures and I had that conversation with them and I said hey you know you can get more on um, this but it was hey you know what I know what I'm I know what I do I like doing it this opportunity is good and my life is exactly the way I want it. I make this much money. I don't spend a lot. So this is what's good for me, right? Interesting. So I, hopefully that, that paints you the dichotomy there of you can make whatever you want out of this career, how much you want to work, what you want to work for, how much you get paid, what industries. Um, right now, you, you, know, you can pick. And that's what's great about you know, having a conversation with someone like me um, is I'm going to take a holistic view and say, what do you really want? And then let's make that happen for you. Let's see how we can make that happen. Jordan, and I think we have a really good segue into the next conversation topic that we wanted to discuss. So Laurie left a comment saying systems integrator slash startup equals experience in dog years. And as she is implying is that the work at a systems integrator is, I, I want to say like intrinsically or to some extent different than what you would see, you know, at an end user slash maybe at a plant. So I wanted to have the conversation of, um, you know, and you, you talk to a lot of candidates who come with various backgrounds and you place them in, you know, like one side or the other. And obviously these questions come up, right? Like, what are you trying to do with your career? How it's going to, how do you see it progressing? But what are the maybe fundamental differences that you see not necessarily just like in skill sets but maybe in even in like requirements in both sides of those jobs and i, I want to get like a little bit in depth into that like after so um what are your thoughts initially at least the differences between the two so this is my main conversation when i talk to people who are looking for a new opportunity end user versus system integrator which path do you want to go and obviously that uh, we have to take their past in, into consideration have you worked at an end user have you worked at a system integrator? What was your experience, right? Um, but yeah, two, two sides of the coin. Um, and, and Lori's right. Uh, working at a, a startup or a smaller integrator, you got to wear a lot more hats than, than what you typically would somewhere else. 
So if you've worked a year at a small three to five person team that's family owned and you've been traveling, you've got customers in different sites, you've been doing a lot more in that year than someone who has the same job title at a company of 100 people. They've got the resources to handle the other things. The small three to five startup, they don't. So now you got to be the troubleshooter. Now you got to be the coder. Now you got to be the guy to run wires, grunt work maybe, right? So, but that pays off because you learn so much more and gather that experience, right? So we're talking about what is a year at this company versus a year at this company. Um, and again, I have to counsel hiring managers, uh, managers about that too. Well, they've only got two years experience. Yes, but what did they do in this two years? Wow, in those two years, they did what uh, my guy typically does in four or four and a half years. Ah, now you're starting to see it, right? Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're young in your career and really want the experience uh, and, and it's available to you, you don't have a family or anything else, you can spend time on the road, do it. You know, do it for two years, three years, four years, five years, whatever. Um, you're going to make yourself so much more valuable, so much more valuable. Um, whereas on the other side, so, and I'll vacillate between uh, end user and uh, system integrator here, but end user, so typically you're going to go in and they need a controls tech engineer, automation engineer, and we need you to do one thing, and that's to run our automation and keep us in production right? Keep, keep us producing something. We don't want downtime. We don't want incidents. So if you get there and they've already got automation, whether it's an old legacy system or it's new, uh, it's up to you to keep that running, right? So you don't get to pick out any of the architecture. You don't get to pick out any of the hardware. You got to sit down and work with what you've got. And at the end of the day, you're going to be doing the same thing over and over. It gets very repetitive. You know, I, I'm checking the same things and I get bored. It's, it's, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a carpenter, a house flipper. I can do, I can uh, lay sod, foundations, concrete, decks, drywall, paint, plumbing. I can do all of that. But you hired me and you put me in this house to put up one electrical switch every day. That's what I do every day. When I could be doing all of these things, right? But you're also not going to be traveling more than likely, right? I've seen some travel on, on end users and depending on some, you know, maybe 5%, right? Once or twice a year. Most of the time you're not traveling at all. This is your baby. This is your home. Keep us running. Um, oh, and by the way, you're probably gonna have to do on call, which your work-life balance is better. I'm not on the road, but after Friday, I, you know, I don't want to get a call at one in the morning saying, Hey, this line went down. What do we do? You know? And you're like, Oh, just push the button, open this up and do that. Right. Over and over. Uh, so many people on call uh, and, and the calls that you get from on call. Right. I mean, hopefully <laughs> so, there's a, there's a switch on the guest network from which you can remote in and kind of reset things and you know, hit right. the one button remotely. But. Right. Um, so there's pros and cons to each, each way. Um and, and that's why I like to have that holistic conversation. What's important to you? What do you want to accomplish? Because that way I can steer you in one of, one of two ways. 
Um, and you can go back and forth, you know, do, do systems integration for five years. Uh, my hair was on fire. I got lots of experience and I just want to kind of slow down and, and focus on one thing, took an end role or an end user role. Um, and it's pretty, pretty simple here. You know, I keep everybody in line. I keep production up and running. It's very lower, a lot lower stress. Uh, I like that for three or four years. And then I'm ready to go back out and get my hair on fire again. There's all kinds of ways that the cookie crumbles, right? And again, it comes up to the individual's personality and what they want. Dave, what are your thoughts uh, on this topic? I know you've been quiet a little bit. Again, you guys are just uh, very talkative today, and I think you, you, everyone has brought up good points. Again, thank you to uh, to Lori for the question um, and, and the comments. I would generally agree that if you are forced to do many things, you're going to become much better at those many things. And to Jordan's point, sometimes you want to go travel 95% of the time and be home for Christmas. And other than that, you're on the road. And I know people who have traveled like that for five years and don't have a, like, like literally when they come home, they sleep on their parents' couch or their sister's couch or, or something along those lines. And for, for some people, it works for them. I, I see a lot of I see a lot of flip flopping. I guess the the only comment, maybe contrary to, to what we're talking about, is that in my experience, you you're going to be forced to do many more things at a startup or a systems integrator, and you may bring those skill sets to an end user, but don't expect to be compensated for knowing all of those things, right? Like let, let's say Jordan can build an entire house but I'm hiring someone to install light switch covers. I'm going to pay Jordan to install light switch covers. I'm not going to pay him because he knows every trick to, to build the entire house, which I think that that is a good analogy. So I would say be, be wary of sticker shock, be, be wary of sticker shock. And if you're going from an end user to a systems integrator that you're going to be forced to do everything. And when you're forced to do everything, you're going to, you know, traveling to all of these things, make sure you're compensated well enough for it because almost exclusively your work-life balance struggles uh, struggles at that point. And so I, I think that those are fantastic questions. I would like to kind of move uh, towards uh, towards kind of the standard questions that we ask everyone. And, and Jordan, I, I know we asked you to do a lot of this, but I want to ask you to predict the future. What, what is the future of you know what? Let, let's. You talked a lot about the the future of controls engineering, right? So I want to ask you a slightly different question. What does the future of recruiting look like? Is it going to be a lot of people specialized in uh, in automation in manufacturing? Is it going to be we suddenly ha have a swarm of extra talent and recruiters are going to go away? I, I would assume it's going to be somewhere in between. But but what what is your uh, your, your thoughts on the future of recruiting? Yeah, future recruiting, great question. Um, and it's hard sometimes because I am niche, right? I stick in industrial automation. So how's it going for recruiting and accounting or other office jobs? I'm, I'm not as up to date, right? Because I stick into my niche. Um, so as far as recruiting and industrial automation, I mean, right now, there's, there's probably a handful I can think of one, two, three, maybe three to four people, maybe five, like me, um, that own their own business and, and do the niche of industrial automation. And they're doing very well at it. Um, will that continue to grow? That'll be interesting. 
um, most of it still gets done uh, through the big box companies um, and, and even smaller local uh, places. So, you know, I've got a, a place here, it's Apple Tree. You know, they've, they've got two different locations um, and they're a, they're a family owned business. And I think they've got up to like 20 employees, right? So it's being done by, by them, uh, the big box, Aerotech, which I think they changed their name. I don't know what they are now. Agilon, all of those, right? They, they still have their big teams that are, that are going out there. Um, they're doing a lot of the contracting, the big contracts. Uh, but when it comes down to direct hire, uh, I know what I do and it works. Obviously, it's worked well. I'm in my third year. It's going great. Uh, the other guys that I know really well, they're doing really well in it. Um, so if, if you want to use an agency in, in industrial automation, use someone like us, right? Um, because we, that's all we do is play in this sandbox. We know all these people. Doesn't matter that they're in California. There's, there's people that live next door to me that I don't know as well as some people I've never met in California, right? Because be through internet or through uh, LinkedIn, having conversations, talking about things. Um, so the future of recruiting, I don't, I don't see it changing too much as it is right now. What will be interesting is 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 the economy overall, right? If we go into more recession, uh, laying off, now that affects agency recruiters too. They'll be laid off, and then we got recruiters looking for work. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's more people like me, uh, Drew Horsley, uh, Jay, and Vineyard. I might be uh, uh, mispronouncing his last name. Sorry, Jay. Um, you know, stay, the guys like that. That, that service justice agency and we can get your fills so much more cleaner, efficient um, than somebody else. And, and it just comes down to, I know how to recruit those industrial automation positions because that's all I do. I know how they talk. I know their, their ups and downs, their pros and cons. Uh, you get me in front of a mechanical engineer that hasn't done automation, we're not gonna have much to talk about, right? So that's the problem with these big box people. They're a recruiter, they're engineering recruiters. So I've got to recruit for all these engineering positions. I can't specialize. So it's hard for me to know the ins and outs of each job wreck. Um, and, the, and the bigger box people, they have larger overhead. So if they come to you and you give them a new wreck and you haven't said yes to any of their candidates within a couple of weeks, they're going to drop you because they've, their, their overhead allows them, they have to get customers that are continually buying candidates from them, either on contract or permanent. They've got to have money coming in. And this day and age in automation, you know, there's a lot of counseling that goes on. Like I've said in the beginning, here's what actually, this is what you want to have happen. Here's what's actually having happen. Um, so we're able to get you through all that morass a lot cleaner, faster, and get you there. And the other thing is, if there's some clients I take and I say, you know what, with these variables, it'll probably take two to three months for us to get a fill. Um, big box guys aren't going to take two to three months. That's too much time for them to spend on not getting any money. Me being much more lean, I don't have all that overhead and I can take much more time to fill those. Right. And that's where a lot of my customers come from. They're like, I, I was asking, them, have you used anybody yet? Yeah, I used Aerotech or this other big company. And they dropped me after two weeks. I said, well, what happened? Well, they gave me a couple of candidates and I didn't want to hire them or didn't want to interview them. So then they stopped giving me candidates. That's not going to happen with someone small like me.
So that's our I, biggest, that's our biggest um, uh, advantage in recruiting, especially in industrial automation. I think we've seen lots of groups become niche specialists. And as you specialize in things, you can offer more value than you can if, if you do everything, right? And I think we've seen that, especially, uh, especially in engineering and controls engineering. And many companies, many integrators focus on, you know, one part of the stack, but they, they've got to call someone else in to do the next. So I, I, I would not be surprised if we continue to see more smaller groups of very successful uh, recruiters as, uh, as you were describing. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that, Jordan. Uh, so as you mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, Jordan, this is your third time. Uh, that you've been on. I, I, I've completely blanked out the second time uh, up until you mentioned it, but this is the third time that you have been on. You've given us a bunch of great book recommendations. I think one of the first ones you gave us was Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, uh, which then got recommended five or six times after that. Um, so we, we want to change it up a little bit. Uh, do you have any content recommendations? What would you suggest other than Vlad and Sola's PLC and of course the manufacturing of, uh, what, what would you suggest watching, listening to, uh, consuming or what's on your Netflix? What, uh, what would you recommend? So I did think about it and I want to give a book push and then I'll get into content. One that I read, it's an, it's an oldie, but I think it, it, it talks so well into sales and relationships um, and the Carnegie, it's Carnegie book, uh, how to win friends and influence people. I think it was originally in the mm -hmm. early thirties. Very good book. Came out. Um, I yeah. recently reread that and, and a lot of it still is just so true to how we interact with people in these days as well. Um, but content, glad, glad you asked that. Um, you know, there was a big push, uh, when we had automate, there was a lot of new content coming out. And from there, I, since then, uh, one comes to mind, uh, and that's a ladies movement and it's the automation ladies and the mavens of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Um, and they've got a couple other girls that they've got. And I know from Canada, uh, women from other countries, you know, that are in the field. Um, Alicia Gilpin, Allie G she's, she's a content master mm -hmm. she's posting seven to 10 times a day, getting all kinds of crazy numbers. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, uh, I think Megan Zimbia and I'm, I'm sorry if I got your name wrong. Um, Nikki, uh, Gonzalez at quote beam. Uh, mm -hmm. Trying to make sure I don't leave leave anybody out, but they've been doing great content lately, um, definitely. Uh, and and I know I said something earlier, but uh, Phoenix Contact and not just Ira, mm -hmm. but some of their other guys are doing some great content on there as well. Um, and and I would use this time, you know, if anybody's out there, start putting more content. And when somebody says content, that doesn't mean you have to put a a, a video out, right? It just means you, you write a couple of words thought-provoking, ask a question, get involved and engaged. You will be amazed at just a couple of times a week, a, a like on a post, uh, a comment on a post, uh, a small post, several times a week. You'd be amazed at what it does. Uh, you know, I do that for a living. I have to because that's how I make my living. But I, I'm just amazed at what I've been able to do in networking in just four years in this, in this industry and all the people that I've come to know in different places. I mean, I could go anywhere in the States and, and, and have one of my connections that I know and uh, go have a drink or, or a dinner or something with them. Um, and it just, it's very, very enriching in your life. I would throw in, unironically, recruiters are always watching. So take that for what it is. Yeah, 
Yes, they oh, are. Okay. Um, uh, we, we should make a couple of shout outs. So Megan and Mavens of Manufacturing, I believe are every Friday. It is Friday super early, uh, Alaska time. Uh, so I, I think they go live maybe 9.30 East Coast time. Um, Megan, most or every Friday morning. And then Allie and Nikki, I think, are kicking off Automation Ladies um, tomorrow, August 4th. So if you're watching this live, go check out Automation Ladies and Allie and Nikki. I believe tomorrow, August 4th, is what I saw. If you're listening to this on podcast form or on a playback, go check out Automation Ladies. I believe that this is the they're going through the process of launching um, I'd like to, while we're talking about great shows, throw a shout out to everyone in this chat's uh, good room, uh, Chris Lukey. He was on the show at, at some point early on the show, and he just launched his official 100th episode. I think it's like episode 700 with all of the bonuses that he always puts out. But I think it's it's officially episode number 100, and uh, we'd like to congratulate him. I, I think it is his fault that we're all here today. I think we can lay that at, at his feet. It is Chris's fault that uh, that all of the manufacturing podcasts have uh, spun up from there. Um, perfect. So, Jordan, uh, thank you for that. Uh, we'll, we'll go through uh, the last couple of questions. I think you've answered most of them. Uh, but, but a piece of career advice. I know that you've been giving Vlad career advice for most of the middle 45 minutes of this show. But, but outside of Vlad, what, what is the best piece of career advice that you normally give people? Or a piece of, maybe a piece of career advice that you wish you could give to more people, but you don't necessarily have the relationship to do that? So I've mentioned this a little bit already on this in a couple of different ways, and I'll hammer it again. Um, whether I'm talking to a candidate or a hiring manager, and especially hiring managers, they're always looking for somebody that is curious and wants to know more, that will never stop working, never stop learning, excuse me. Um, you know, I had a, a guy that was been in automation his whole life. He was in his mid to later fifties and got hired with one of my clients. And, um, they said, oh yeah, we need a new, uh, uh, CIP system clean in place. And he's like, oh, okay, well I've done one before. Do you have any, you know, anything I can go off? I said, no, we hired you to do it. You, you got it. We support you. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, well, cool. I get to learn this again, dove in there, uh, learned a lot, did the project well, and now now knows CIPs, you know, like the back of his hand and is doing it for this company. Uh, that's what they're looking for. Not somebody that's 55 and goes, all right, I've never done that. I don't do that. No, no, I'm, I'm a PLC, you know, guy. I, I don't do that. Um, that is the best skill that you can have is to be curious and learn, always wanting to learn more no matter how old you are or how much you think you know, always be curious, learn more, extend yourself out there, right? People are always watching. Well, that Vlad, he, he's already done more than his 40 hours. He's probably done 55 this week. And now he's out there with John trying to learn SCADA. We're not even paying him, right? People see that. And then they go, Vlad, he's, that's the kind of guy I want to keep, right? So already now your managers, all right, let's feed him. Let's get him trained. We can get, make him more of a weapon for us. And he's happy. We're doing these things. It's, a, it's, it's a symbiotic, right? Each one is helping each other out. That's what you're looking for. So my best, best advice to tell you is always be learning. Never stop learning. Always be curious. Uh, don't stop yourself. Jordan, we have a, a question before Dave throws in the last question at you. I want you to keep this in mind. So the question is from Shane O'Donnell. He's asking, 
do you look after a certain industry only? Like, are you specialized in uh, any specific industries? Are you looking for, you know, candidates uh, across the board? So, uh, Dave, I'll let you throw in the question, but uh, Jordan, keep that uh, comment in mind. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, so Jordan, the last question is, is who should reach out to you? And maybe to, to Shane's question is, uh, give us give us the pitch right so you recruit for industrial in the industrial automation sector for a bunch of different industries and give us the pitch uh who you help who you are looking for candidates wise and customers wise and and where that is and what the industries look like yeah so i will talk to anybody um in, in industrial automation and it doesn't have to be about recruiting right you could be happy in your job but Maybe in a few years, you want to make a move or something. Give me a call. We can talk about it. Um, I'll talk to somebody that um, has been in an associated industry, but now wants to get in. What do I learn? How do I get in? Right. Uh, if you're looking for another job, great. Industry wise, um, I, I mean, I'm agnostic, I guess. I don't I don't pick and choose. Um, I'll work in anything that that is automated. Uh, most of what I've done. Uh, is manufacturing, food and bev, uh, pharmaceutical, life sciences, um, starting to get into, and I'd never had, power generation, uh, power grid, smart grids. Um, got a new client there uh, in the Northeast that we're really excited about. So started to dip my toes into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, if automation touches it, let's talk. Let's do it. I love it. I, I love it. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, everyone. I will again make the push because Vlad didn't do it at the beginning. If you are listening, please feel free to like and subscribe. Please feel free to, to share this content. If you're listening on podcast form, uh, please subscribe and follow and rate us five stars. If you're watching on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitch, uh, hit the follow button uh, for me, for Manufacturing Hub, for Vlad, uh, for Jordan, all of our comments and our contact information will be, if Vlad didn't do it, please feel free to subscribe to Solus PLC, Hi Solus PLC YouTube channel. Vlad might have forgot you, but, but we haven't. Congratulations on 32,000 uh, subscribers on that, Vlad. Uh, again, thank you, Jordan. Until next week, uh, soon. thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jordan. Should we add that if you subscribe to Solus PLC, you'll get a uh, hat for hat life when they come in? SolusPLC.com? Huh? Oof, that, huh? would be, that would be a massive order. We're not going to make that commitment, but we'll definitely have some hats for the subscribers. In any case, thank you everyone for watching. Thank you, Jordan, for joining us. Thank you, and guys. And we'll see everybody.